All right, well, with that, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 107. And you can, if you have a bookmark, you can stick it right in there. We're going to be in Psalm 107 for a few Sundays. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to read the first three verses. Um, but I, I was thinking about Psalm 107 as I was, what I did, and I've never done this before over the entire, I've been pastoring now for about 10 years altogether, but I've never done this. I created an entire preaching calendar for the year 2023. Guys, I know where we're going to be in October. Never had that kind of planning, I know. But as I was thinking through, what would be a good Second Timothy chaser? as it were. <laughs> I was praying about that, and I thought of Psalm 107. And the reason why I thought of Psalm 107 was, do you remember in 2 Timothy where Paul makes that incredible statement? And I was talking about it in the midweek email this week, that I fought the good fight. I've run, I've finished the race, and there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. And I was really powerfully convicted when I read those words of Paul if the end came into view for me today, could I say the same to those who really knew me? I hope so. <laughs> if I could say, if I couldn't say I fought the good fight, I would at least like to say, you know the sincerity with which I tried. But there, I think there are a great many Christians who read those words of Paul and maybe feel some sadness that they might not be able to say the same. You know, they haven't fought the good fight. Really, they just kind of avoided fights as much as they could. Or they fought bad fights. And they didn't finish the race. They've been running in the wrong direction a lot of the time and fits and starts and sitting down. I think there's a lot of Christians who read those words of Paul and go, man, I wish I could say the same. Is there a word from the Bible for Christians who don't feel that they've done it right? Is there a word for Christians who feel like they zigged when they really should have zagged and now they're way off course? Is there a word for such a one? And I think that that word for such a Christian is Psalm 107. I'm going to read the first three verses and then I'll explain why I think this is a psalm for such a Christian. The writer of Psalm 107 says this, and I'm only going to read the first three verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The, psalm, the psalmist here just makes one very simple but powerfully profound statement that God is good. Celebrate it. Psalm 107 begins with the words, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And those words go on to be repeated again multiple times throughout the psalm. In fact, the psalm ends in the last verse with these words. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So this psalm begins and ends with the steadfast love of the Lord. 
And in between, in the main body of the psalm, there are described four examples of the different kinds of trouble that comes through our wayward sinfulness. And in each stanza, it repeats, They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. So four times we have that very same pair of verses. The psalm, Psalm 107, is a celebration of the steadfast love of God. And in the coming weeks, we're going to celebrate through our study of this psalm how that love is expressed towards fickle, wayward human beings like you and me. For example, in the first, uh, I'm sorry, in verses 4 through 9, it's going to talk about the love of God that brings us home. In verses 10, 16, it's going to talk about the love of God that makes us free. In verses 17 through 22, it's going to talk about the love of God that makes us whole. And in verses 22 through 32, it's going to talk about the steadfast love of the Lord that brings us peace. God answers our cry, our cry for help from our homeless wanderings, our bondage, our brokenness, and the consequences of our own rebellious disobedience to deliver us. Give thanks to, the, to God, for He is good, even when we're not. That's what this psalm is all about. God, You are good, and Your goodness is never so precious to us as when it's offered in such generosity to us who are not good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Or to quote 2 Timothy again, even though we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He is good. He's wonderful. A lot of Bible scholars have tried, and here, let me just geek out on the Bible for a little bit, for a second. I know not everybody enjoys doing that. I won't be long about it. A lot of Bible scholars have read Psalm 107, and they've tried to place it within... Uh, you, you can sometimes link a psalm to a specific chapter of Jewish history. For example, a lot of psalms written by David, you can actually line up with some circumstance in his life. And a lot of Bible scholars have tried to put Psalm 107 in its place in redemptive history. You know, what is this in response to? What, what happened historically among the people of Israel that prompted the writing of this psalm. And I think they have um, kind of unsuccessfully, I think, in my view anyway, a lot of Bible scholars make the case that this psalm was written to give thanks to God for bringing the people of Israel back from their time of exile in Babylon. They came out of Babylon, and this is sort of a psalm written in praise of the God who heard their cry and brought them out. Now, I'm not actually opposed to that idea. I just don't think that's what is going on here. 
Yeah, my, my view is that some people have also tried taken a wider view of biblical history and said that it talks about Abraham's wanderings in the desert and then bringing them out of Egypt and then the exile period. It's kind of a more comprehensive view of their history. And I don't think it's that either. I think the psalm, if we take it just at face value, is written in a more global, universal way about the way God operates in his relationship with his people. For example, when it says that he brings us out of the north, south, east, and west, the word there for south is actually from across the seas. It doesn't actually say directionally south in the original Hebrew. So I think it's talking about a global truth. He brings us in from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. Four times over the course of the psalm, it's going to start those, each of those four stanzas with some. Some, 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 some. And the idea here is that there's different kinds of people, and they come from different places. And in being brought into relationship with God, the way he operates toward them, there is something in the way that God treats us in our brokenness that is worthy of celebration. I think this is written in more of a global appreciation kind of way. Four times, the psalmist depicts people who are stuck in bad situations, and this makes them cry out to God, and these are the very kinds of situations that people get themselves in now. These are the kinds of situations that make people feel hopeless, which is why the psalm is so very, very hopeful. Here's one example. The psalmist in verses 10 through 11 says this, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High God. Here's what I want to ask you. Have you ever knowingly sinned? Have you ever sinned in a way where you knew what God said? You knew what was right. You knew it, you knew it, you knew it. But you chose sin over the counsel of God. Has that ever been true for you personally? So that's what this is describing. They rebelled against the words of God. Have you ever rebelled against the words of God? And of course, a lot of people can say the same. Yeah, I spurned God's counsel. I knew what was right. I wasn't ignorant. I knew the right way to go, and I just stopped up my ears and went for it anyway. And that is exactly what the people depicted in this psalm were doing. But instead of being, there being no hope for such a person, the next thing we read is this. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Or later on, it says, some were fools through sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Here's what I want you to see and to celebrate in your hearts about our God. Our God is not such a God as says, you made, you made your bed, now lie in it. This is an amazing truth about God. This is what Psalm 107 is celebrating. Commenting on this psalm, John Piper says this, 
So whether you've wrecked your life with drugs, abortion, wrong divorce, multiple marriages, illicit sex, lying, or fraud, you can see from this psalm that those things do not disqualify you from God's rescue. The people in the psalm got themselves into their situation by their own stupidity rather than someone else's persecution against them. Yet God still hears their cry and saves them. And when you go to the cross, you see what it is that makes this kind of mercy possible. The fact that Jesus died in our place, covered all of our sin, took all of our guilt, removed all of our condemnation, and has provided us with a perfection and a righteousness which we could never perform on our own. This is the ground upon which everyone who trusts in him can claim the same mercy from Psalm 107 for themselves. Because of the cross, we can know that their own situation right now does not rule us out of God's blessing, favor, and care. Does God really care for those who have messed up their lives, who spurned his counsel, who knew the right way to go, said, no, God, I want this other thing, have made an absolute shipwreck of their lives, does God care for them? If they cry to him, Psalm 107 says, he will come and he will care because that's what Christ bought for us when he died on the cross. So the people being depicted in Psalm 107 are people who, because of their disobedience, have wrecked their minds, their bodies, their reputations, their relationships, or they're in jail, or they've wandered so far away from God's will that they now feel like God owes them absolutely nothing. What right do they have in light of their conscious disobedience to now ask God for help. They feel like there is just no hope for them at all. The psalmist depicts them as even just food, not even having flavor. They just feel like, let's just die. They're in the midst of difficulties because they've been fools, and yet they cry to the Lord in their trouble. He delivers them out of all their distresses, and therefore the hope that this psalm brings to people who feel like there is just no hope is incredible. Do, do you begin to feel the amazing depths of God's grace? Our hope before God was never rooted in our goodness, of course, but part of us thinks, yeah, but there's got to be some limits to that, right? <laughs> right? And we just, be, as we dive deeper into our understanding of how deep the grace of God is, it just keeps going and going and going. It's amazing. Psalm 107 makes it very plain. God is not saying you've made your bed, now lie in it. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know whose ears these words are falling on. I don't know what your conversations with God have been like or what you think of God. But I am telling you, Psalm 107 says, God is not saying to you, you've made your bed, now lie in it. Fellow Christian, hear me on this. He is not saying to you, you've made your bed, now lie in it. 
This psalm is a call to celebrate the God who is good, even though you are not. He is the God who hears your cry when you call out to Him in the midst of your distress, and He answers you. Even though, yes, He listens to you, even though you would not listen to Him. He is the God who comes to us even though we ran away from Him. He remains faithful even when we were faithless. This is Psalm 107, and it's a great chaser (laughs) to those true words in 2 Timothy. I want my testimony to be that of the Apostle Paul at the end of his life. But maybe right now, you're still alive. Your heart's beating. You have days yet to live if the Lord should tarry. How do you plot a course back to a place where you can say like Paul, I finished the race? I fought the good fight. I believe it begins like the people depicted in Psalm 107. If you're way off course today, and that's just between you and God, it begins with crying out to Him in the midst of your distress and trusting that He is good. Trust Him. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Guys, you can get up, you can dust yourself off, and you can do it again. You can try again. You can pursue Christ-likeness today. His grace is there. His mercies are new every morning. He is good. Celebrate it. There's two things I want to focus on in this psalm beyond what I've just shared with you. That first thought is more of a general thought about the psalm in general and why we're going to be spending time with it. And over the next four Sundays, I am looking forward to celebrating that love and what it accomplishes in our lives, the love that brings us home, the love that sets us free, the love that makes us whole, the love that brings us peace, even though we don't deserve any of it, of course. But here's two things I want us to see in these opening three verses. First, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Two things in there. What does it mean to be redeemed? Let's think a little bit about that. And then I want to ask ask the question, why must we say so? (laughs) Why is that part of it? Now, each of the four stanzas that comprise the main body of the psalm begins with the word some. Some wandered. Some sat in darkness, some were fools, some went down. The fourfold repetition of the word some reflects the idea that was first introduced in verse 3 that we've been gathered into the body of Christ, not only out of different circumstances, but verse 3 says from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. Some, 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 east, west, north, south. This fourfold repetition, I think, is very deliberate. And the total impact of all of that is this though the paths that led us to Christ were different, and though individual Christians are very different from one another, and even though Christians come to the church out of even different cultures and races and nations of origin, all Christians everywhere, regardless of origin, regardless of their circumstances, are united in celebrating and praising the God 
who redeemed us. So even though we come from different places, different peoples, different circumstances, we're all united in that. The psalmist writes, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. They were in trouble. Things had gone horribly wrong. They were helpless, hopeless. I don't think that's being too melodramatic. And, in, and they were just in way over their head. And in their helplessness, they remembered the God they had forgotten, and they cried out to Him for mercy, and God heard their cry. This is not the experience, I don't believe, of some Christians. I think this is, in some measure, the experience of all Christians, all people who have ever truly awoken to the reality of who they are apart from Christ can sympathize with what's being expressed in this psalm. They felt it to some degree themselves personally. This is an experience common to every Christian, not just those with really dramatic testimonies. I can remember when I used to work at Camp Maranatha in Southern California, I think I've told you about this, sometimes in the evening I'd get the kids to bed and I would go out into the, into the night and I would go, we had a big amphitheater with a fire pit in the bottom and towards the end of every week of camp they would have these fire testimonies at the end of the week and I used to like to go and sit there in the back row and just listen to people give testimonies. Some amazing stories of how God delivered people out of horrible circumstances into a new life in Christ. Wonderful to hear those stories. I always delighted in them. But I, I wondered if other young Christians believed they didn't have a testimony because it wasn't as spicy <laughs> as some of what they heard. Like, oh man, I never belonged to a gang. I guess I don't have anything to say at the end of the week. And that was true for me growing up. Like, I... I um, was raised with every spiritual advantage. I had a mom and dad who did their level best to tell me the truth from when I was a baby. And they lived it not perfectly, but sincerely in front of me. They were honest, but they were sincere. I was very blessed, very fortunate. But guys, at some point along the way, and guys, I'm not saved because of my parents, not even a little bit. <laughs> that matters not even at all. Some point along the way, God brought the full weight and force of the reality that I was cut off and separated from Him because of my sin. At some point along the way, God made me he cut my heart wide awake to the reality that I was a sinner, and I was desperately lost. I had no continuing hope in eternity apart from Christ. And in response to that desperation, I put my trust in Jesus for salvation. And it was bedded back down. The grace that taught my heart to fear, my fears relieved. To quote John Newton in Amazing Grace. And I think that anybody who's a believer, whether your testimony is dramatic or mundane or even boring like mine, I'm sorry to have bored you just a minute ago, <laughs> you can understand what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 107 about giving thanks to the Lord for He is good and I was not. I was in distress. I was lost. I was broken. 
and you said it right. So we come from different places, but we're all united. If you are a believer today, united in your celebration of the God who is good. This is an experience common to us all. And there's no amount of turning over a new leaf or New Year's resolutions or volunteering or philanthropy that can help do away with that desperate feeling in your heart. The only thing you can do with it is turn to Jesus and put your trust in Him. In their utter helplessness, they cried out to the Lord, and that's it. Christians are men and women who have come who have become desperate and hopeless, and when they realized they could not save themselves, they received with joy the message that God so loved them that He sent His only Son into the world to rescue them, to die for them, to deliver them, to make them right, justified, and reconciled with the Father. He delivered me and you out of our distress Uh, Years ago, I got to know a family. There were a number of brothers in this family. I got to know them all really well. Uh, In the Bible, we're told not to judge, lest we be judged. Uh, Judge not. And I think what's meant there is don't... We are... I think we are to judge certain behaviors, of course. Um, But I don't think we're meant to judge the ultimate salvation of a person. That's God's business. I don't want to enter into the sin of judging some of these brothers. But I will say this. Only one of the brothers that I got to know did I ever feel really confident had embraced the gospel. And one of the reasons why, as I got to know his story, was he did not believe he was a good guy. (laughs) The other brothers really did. I think if you talked to them for long, you would come away with the sense that they think they got it all right and the world's gone crazy. But my friend, who I got to know... And I won't go into all the sordid details, but guys, he went through a horrible scandal. He sinned in terrible ways, ways that would shock any conscience on the planet Earth. And it all played out in a small town. And as a result, I believe that man had come to embrace the gospel as something more precious and more needed than his brothers, who really deep down, I think, thought they were good guys. But this man knew he was not good. (laughs) He would say with a full-throated amen, God is good. I'm not. But give thanks to the Lord for he is good. As I got to know that man and his story, his whole hope was resting on the goodness of Jesus. And that goodness was precious to him. Because he had nothing to bring. His his hands were empty. And that is what it means to be redeemed. That's what it means. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let those who have been delivered out of their trouble, their helplessness, their hopelessness, let them celebrate. Let them dance for joy. Let them say so. That brings us to our last point this morning, the say-so part. First words of this psalm are give thanks. Open up your mouths, Christians. Open up your mouths. 
and give him his due. Give thanks, say so. This is something else we see in this psalm. It is not enough to feel grateful. You must say so. (laughs) That's an uncomfortable thing to say out loud, especially here in the county, I think, where people are so stoic. Not an emotive people, particularly. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't yet understand you well. There is some vague discomfort at emotionalism here and saying things out loud, saying things like, I love you, to people who aren't your wife. (laughs) But here it says, it begins with the command, give thanks. And it says, goes on to say, let the redeemed say so. Give voice. I want you to see and understand with me that this is the natural response of the delivered, the redeemed. And it really boils down to this. This is really, I think, a very vital test of a sincere work of transformation in a person's life. Having good morals is commendable. Being an intelligent and thoughtful human being is also a very positive trait. However, it's important to see that what differentiates Christianity from merely possessing good morals or having a right understanding or a philosophy, the cold, dry collecting of doctrines, one of the things that separates true Christian expression from that is heartfelt praise in worship. In other words, someone might look like a Christian if they do right. And they might sound like a Christian if they know right. But one of the most vital tests is that they give thanks from their heart in worship. One of the very important things to know about Christianity is that it transforms the whole person. I'm not making an appeal to emotionalism. I don't think that by being a blubbering mess on Sundays, you can become more of a Christian or anything like that. Don't hear me say that. I'm just saying this, that becoming a Christian will transform the whole person. It does not merely involve the will. That's mere morality. That's behavior modification. It does not merely concern the intellect, as in philosophy. Christianity is not merely an intellectual pursuit. And it does not only or merely involve the emotions. But let's not deny one aspect of this. Christianity will result in changed behavior. I believe that. Christianity involves an appeal to the mind. God is intellectually satisfying. I believe that. But it will also involve, and Psalm 107 makes this very plain and with great force, a response from the heart. It has to do with the whole person. What these opening verses of Psalm 107 emphasize is that praise, a voiced gratitude that terminates not only on the gifts, but on the excellence, the goodness of the giver, is also an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. 
Christians are men and women who, before everything else, are conscious that they owe everything to the grace of God, and praise for their God rises in their lips like song from a bird. It just must bubble forth. And so the question that this psalm forces onto us is this, is there praise to God in your heart this morning? Do you feel like responding to the psalmist when he says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever? And when he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, does your heart respond with an amen? He's redeemed us from our troubles. Let us say so. I think I've talked about this uh, many times before, and forgive me for being repetitious. But I think it's such a valid point when we come to evangelism. Evangelism should never be the stuff of just uh, like a to-do list item. Like God says I should, so I will, I guess. <laughs> I think whenever a, whenever a human being uh, goes to a new restaurant and they think it's amazing, I promise you that week they will tell at least three people about their experience at that restaurant. If they hear a song on the radio and it is just, that is such an incredible beat, that's a great song, they're going to download it, they're going to share it, they're going to say, have you heard that song? When we see something amazing, part of your design as a human being is that your enjoyment of that thing is not enjoyed to the fullest until you share it in words. How many of you have ever fallen in love with somebody and kept it completely to yourself? It doesn't happen. When you become infatuated with somebody or in love with them and the relationship is first flourishing, you're going to annoy people <laughs> with how much you talk about that other person. And we begin to see the great scandal of Christian silence about their God. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. We talk about sports teams and songs and restaurants and our puppy love but we're silent about the greatest treasure, the most soul-satisfyingly excellent thing we've ever stumbled upon. This is a deep scandal, really. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Don't shove it back down. Let it bubble up and issue forth in praise and watch it multiply as other people say, I'll go to that restaurant then. I'll give Jesus another look. I think very often this is the stuff of evangelism. It's just the overflow of a heart that's satisfied, that's tasted goodness. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this. God, in just a moment, we're going to gather to the communion table. And Father, in that moment, we are celebrating the God who heard us in our distress, heard our cry, and answered us. Father, we give you thanks for being such a God. In Jesus' name, amen.